Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together we host the Pint of Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Nothing. You done? <laughs> story elements, Butler. Story is a great thing. It's about is what we're doing. You're telling Give me a, a story, story here. And I, I don't. I'm like, oh, you're, you're done. You're done. He hasn't. Le- he's still leaping, but he's not home yet. Right? Just, they just need to do the episode before everyone dies. Ziggy. <laughs> so when he has sex with them, <laughs> they bang. We're rolling. Are we really? Yes. All right. I can stop if you'd like. No, no, no I'm fine. I'm <laughs> fine. I'm just getting ready. Getting ready. All right, here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> Hello, I'm Mike Fields. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We are on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 100 episodes for your listening pleasure. Damn, that was some high energy. Damn right. right. (laughs) Check out that energy. Woo! That's all I got. And it's faded. It's all. It's gone now. I need another drink. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike. So uh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'll be uh, be a little bit uh, more for wear around three o'clock when I have to go face this bully that's going to beat me up. You and me are having a fight and there ain't nothing you can do about it. What's it about? Three o'clock high. is about preppy high school reporter Jerry Mitchell, who is asked to write a story on a tough new kid named Buddy Ravel, a boy rumored to have had a violent past. Jerry tries to call off the story, but in the process, he infuriates Buddy, who challenges him to a parking lot brawl immediately after school. At three o'clock that same day, as Jerry desperately attempts to escape the impending fight, he instead ends up finding the courage to stand up to Buddy. Eh, And whatever. That synopsis is okay. So we're doing three o'clock high runtime of 97 minutes. Nice. Rated PG-13. Production budget of six million dollars was released on a Friday, October 9th, 1987. Opening weekend did one point five million dollars. Domestic and worldwide are the same, which was three point six. So not a box office. It's actually considered a box office flop, but it is considered a cult classic. 
Um, I have watched this movie several times and, and I did not see it in theaters because I was 12. So probably, you know, I wasn't allowed to see it in theaters, but I did see it at some point. Now, there's no actual production company. There's just one producer, David E. Vogel. But if you read the notes, you understood that there was an executive producer that asked to have his name removed, which <laughs> we'll get into. And that is somebody by the name of Steven Spielberg. Distributed by Universal Pictures. It said it came out on the 9th of October. It went up against Surrender. Someone to Watch Over Me, and The Princess Bride, and also in a limited release, Baby Boom. I know we Mike's probably only seen The Princess Bride there, right? I've heard of Baby Boom, but yeah, I- Baby Boom's actually it. pretty funny. It's with Diane Keaton. She get a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> October 16th, which was a week after, you had just limited releases of Prom Night 2, House of Games, which, might I say, is very good, David Mamet, and Barfly. I have not seen any of the Prom Nights. Never. Not even the remake they did. I've seen the first Prom Night. So I don't know. I just never. It was one of those movies that just slipped through the, slipped through the cracks, I guess. Anyways, oh, uh, we got Forgotten Horror. No. Oh, well, we already we already assigned our Forgotten Horror episode this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another year. Uh, <laughs> on October second, the week before, you had Like Father, Like Son. The that is the one with Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore, right? When they swap bodies. Oh, yep. Yeah. Okay. You had Big Shots, and then the limited release Near Dark, which is an episode we did on our first season of Forgotten Horror. So this one, I'm going to say his name wrong, is directed by Phil Jonu. I might have said that right. What do you think? Eh, Maybe. What do, how would you say it? You didn't Joanu? Janu? Janu? You think no, it was with the... because then it would be... Phil, contact the show. Janelle? Let us Janelle? know. Let us know how we're saying your name. All right, Phil? Phil contact Janelle. the show. Uh, he has directed State of Grace, Final Analysis, and Heaven's Prisoners. This is actually his directorial debut. His theatrical de- directorial debut. Hmm. Uh, written by Richard Christian Matheson and Tom... Oh, forget Tom Solosi. <laughs> I said that wrong, but they're a writing partner, a writing uh, team, excuse me. They've done Loose Cannons. That's with Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd. The, a lot of TV episodes for the A-Team. I believe they did a few episodes for Amazing Stories. Uh, Slozosi, excuse me. Has Slozosi, done, I, yeah, think. Nah, I, I think. I think it's just Slozosi. Whatever. Uh, he did the TV show MythQuest. Cinematography by Barry Sonnenfeld. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Yeah. He clearly, he is a director. He's obviously did the MIB series. Well, the first two. Did he do the third one? I believe he did the, all three. So he did all three. But I'm going to give you his cinematography credits, which was Blood Simple, Big, When Harry Met Sally, and the last one he did was Misery. Composer was Tangerine Dream. Hey. Uh, hey. We all know that they, we've, they've, we've covered a lot of movies that they've done, including Thief and Sorcerer, but they've also done Risky Business, Firestarter, Legend, and again, Near Dark. Edited by Joanne Fogel. Uh, they uh, done TV show Amazing Stories. It says like 1986. But that's when it started. I don't know if they did the whole season, like just the season of 86 or right. the whole series. Who knows? Also, Doogie Howser, MD and Murder One. And then obviously I said David E. Fogel was a producer. He produced a TV show Amazing Stories and Tales from the Dark Side, which is probably where that Steven Spielberg connection comes from. A lot of Amazing Stories uh, connections in I this movie. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you had Casey Zamasco as Jerry Mitchell. He's in Stand By Me, Young Guns of Mice and Men and The Phantom, an episode we did for our season five. Yep. Shout out to John Amenta, who liked that movie and yelled at us for not liking as much as he did. <laughs> Richard Tyson as Buddy Ravel from Kindergarten Cop. There's something about Mary and Battlefield Earth. I'm just laughing because his scene in something about Mary is funny. Uh, Stacey Glick as Bree Mitchell. 
Uh, she's in Brighton Beach Memoirs and the TV show Search for Tomorrow. Jonathan Wise is Vincent Costello from Soul Man. Ha, huh? the appropriate Soul Man. <laughs> and Defense Play. Uh, Annie Ryan as Franny Perrins from Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Laws of Attraction. Liza or Liza, Liza probably, Liza Morrow as Karen Clark. She's in the TV show Dynasty. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor as Mr. Rice. Uh, we just did an episode of a movie that had Tambor in it, which was The D Train. He's also in The Death of Stalin, which I keep telling people to watch. And in, he's in The Hangover Trilogy. Philip Baker Hall, I believe, passed away a while back, right? Or is he still alive? Philip Baker, Baker Hall? Yeah. Uh, I thought he, he I th- passed away. I thought away. he passed away. I don't know. He did not. He's still alive. Excellent. We'll that out. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Philip, call the show. I apologize. We'll, let you, we'll talk to you. Doctor, he plays Detective Mulvahill. He's from Argo, Heart 8, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia. John P. Ryan is Mr. O'Rourke from It's Alive. That's a horror movie for everyone out there. The Right Stuff and Five Easy Pieces. Mitch Pelegi as Duke the Duker, oh Duke Herman. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> he is from Shocker. He's also obviously, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but Superintendent Walter Z. Skinner. There you go from the X-Files TV show. And he's also in Basic Instinct, which I didn't know. Caitlin O'Haney as Miss Farmer from Wolfen. He Knows You're Alone. Tales of the Gold Monkey, which is a TV show. John Rothman as Mr. Medved. He's from the TV show One Mississippi, Prime, and Big. And then you had a couple of, uh, not really cameos, but people that are in this movie, they're like, hey, I know them. Oh, yeah. Bart Simpson's in this movie, right? Uh, no, Lisa no, Simpson. Lisa Simpson's in this movie. Uh, yep, you're Lee Smith. And then Paul Feig as Hall Monitor. Did you notice that? I did not notice that, but I saw him in the credits. Yeah. But as soon as you and Lee Smith start talking, I'm like, that's that's Lisa Simpson's right there. Start talking <laughs> off screen, it comes on screen. I'm like, ah! A couple more facts, I guess. Uh, this, these started filming. This came out in 87, like we said, in October. But this filmed in October of 86 uh, through December of 86. So it's probably one full year um, you know, that it filmed before, which makes sense. October to November or December? No, no I'm December. saying like it was filmed in October of 1986. It came out in October of 1987. That's what I'm saying. Right. Oh, yeah, full, full year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying full year for production. Yeah, yeah. This movie also has different names, which I think all stunk. So I'm glad they actually used this name. <laughs> they, they, one of the names is also because it's spelled out. Three o'clock high is spelled out. But they actually right. spelled. They actually had one of the names was just the three colon zero zero high. Yeah. They had one called after school, which is one of these days, which is dumb. And the bell rings at three. I mean, really? These, mm. are, the, these are the titles? No, th- this is the best title. All right. So I have seen this movie before. Mike has not. I think uh, it's clear why I picked this because usually cult classics kind of almost that is almost the definition of what we do here at forgotten cinema. Right. Cause the cult classic means that it was forgotten before, but it's kind of people like it. Right. People talk about it. When we talk about, we, we could do forgotten films as think too. I mean, that happens. That's true. <laughs> well, usually the ones you pick. So um, what do you think of the movie? Oh, uh, for, I guess just kind of like broad a, strokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, at first, the opening sequence really was very generic to me. It was very 1980s, 80s movie, a lot of Ferris Bueller stuff, a lot of, you know, breakfast clubby kind of stuff. And I was like, ah, you're, talking, you're talking about the immediate I'm opening, about the very immediate opening. Okay. And it really turned me off to this movie for like uh, just like uh, the five to 10 minutes that that opening is. Uh, then the movie starts and it's. I, don't, I really like this movie because I don't think it's like really a comedy. I mean, it's definitely a comedy. But it also takes itself a lot more seriously than I think I thought I w- it was going to. And I ended up really liking the movie at the end because of that. Because it's not goofy. It's not stupid. It's actually a very, very good, well-thought-out movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually ended up really liking it at the end. It really kind of doesn't behold itself to the conventions of the typical 1980s high school or even 1990s high school goofy, stupid comedy. Right. Uh, well, 
to that point, a couple, maybe perhaps a couple of reasons why that is, is that the director while doing it was influenced by Martin Scorsese's After Hours and Raging Bull. Okay. So the idea for this film, and we'll get into Spielberg wanting to have his name removed, was that Spielberg wanted to do a movie that was like The Karate Kid. So he wanted to do something that was family friendly, light, you know, you know, underdog wins kind of thing. Right. So he, and he, and obviously, you know, when he screened, when they watched the movie and he screened it, he turned around to the direction. It's like, this is, this is like a Scorsese film. <laughs> and he asked to have his name removed from the credits because, because I guess Amblin was family friendly at the time and he didn't want to be associated with this. He also did this with Fandango from 85, which, uh, you know, I, I wish kind of somebody would talk, talk him out of that, uh, uh, you know, talk him out of getting out of different films. Yeah, because. I, just go with your initial instinct. If you if if you liked the script, I don't know what if this script was on paper, like how you read it. I don't know how you get Karate Kid out of that because it's clear that this is dealing with, you know, like d- themes different and, themes. And things, yeah, absolutely. This is not a Karate Kid type story, yeah. even from the get go. You know, the Buddy is a much like they don't really flesh him out, but he's a much more nuanced villain, I guess, bully to yeah. Jerry than anyone from Cobra Kai was in the original Karate Kid. I mean, since they've since added depth to those characters, but yeah, this is, this is a a much uh, darker story, but a much more realistic portrayal of people. I mean, it's exaggerated. Oh, the high school's exaggerated. I think the people are are more realistic. I think one of the staples of eighties high school films is that everybody's over the age of 25 in this movie. Holy shit. They're all like 30 (laughs) years old. They're so old. The his the blonde girl he's got a crush on is older than his history his English teacher. I love every time they 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 show her because she's like, hey Jerry, how you doing? Yeah, it's like all soft. It's like I'm. It's like she's like Sandy from Greece. The one of the things I had forgotten was whether he was with her. Like the whole thing with his friend Franny, which I'll get into with you because there was a whole new take I had on this at watching it again. I was like, oh my, I, I didn't even think of this. So well, we can get to it later. But I wanted to get to the poster blurb because it's so stupid. So this is on the poster. And I want to know if you can come up with a better blurb for the movie or a tagline. <laughs> this is the entire poster blurb. Jerry Mitchell just bumped into Buddy Ravel. Now, Jerry isn't thinking about math or English because at three o'clock, he's history. Three o'clock high. When school's over, it's all over. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> Who? Th- I mean, I like, mean, that's like classic. That's so that's, so cheesy. It's just so long, and there's like three different blurbs there's in one different big blurb. Yeah. yeah. So, what would you do for it? Like, what what blurb would you do that's better? Oh man. And I feel like they're really pushing it when they go, he's thinking about math or English because at three o'clock he's history. Like, <laughs> like somebody who wrote that was just like, yeah. For yeah. Jerry Mitchell, the clock doesn't go past three. Uh, some like it, it's got to be one line. Like, yeah. this is like three sentences. No, this sucked. I po- whoever did that, I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a wonderful person, but uh, your blurb stunk. Three here. o'clock on the blacktop. Jerry Mitchell is a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> I even like if it just said you and me are gonna fight. Three o'clock. Like that's it. Like I love. I the best thing. One of the one of the things I like about this movie is the <laughs> opening when it just sets it up. Where not not the opening that you're talking about, yeah. but when they meet in the bathroom and he was just like, you and me are going to fight. His line is so good. Three o'clock in the parking lot. You try to run. I'm going to track you down. <laughs> you go to a teacher. It's only going to get worse. You sneak <laughs> home. I'm going to be under your bed. It's like, holy shit. It just sets it up. It's like, okay, at three o'clock, this is happening. And here's the movie. Here we go. Yeah. It's just like, all right, here we go. And I, they do a great job of keep going back to the clock. 
you know, something happens, boom, the bell rings, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Yeah. It, they do a great job of all of that. So to the opening, when he's trying to get ready, mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> my note here is that as someone who was frequently late in my youth, I can feel this opening hardcore. Yes, I have microwave stuff. I have microwave <laughs> clothes before. <laughs> yeah, not food with clothes. I love I, I love when he looks at the st- microwave and he's looking at his Pop-Tart and he goes, eh. <laughs> <laughs> But like I've been there where you're looking for something to wear and you're late and you're like, eh, or, or like when you st- when you stand up in the room, you're like, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? What do I have to do to get ready? It's just like, it, I've been there before. I put on soggy clothes, but I've never put clothes in the microwave before. Uh, I have. I have. Just, <laughs> and I want to say that I did it after watching the movie. <laughs> so so this movie kind of gave me that idea. I was like, well, I did it in the movie. So uh, obviously I could do it. I do like, I mean, I'm not a big fan of how the opening is set up and how it's done kind of too Ferris Bueller for me. Like the opening line makes me sick. <laughs> The, the, it was his, oh, his voiceover, his voiceover, Uh. speaking of of his voiceover, I mean, they do it once and they do it at the end and that's fine. But there's a credit in the movie for narrator. It says narrator, Harold Flynn. And I'm like, what, when was that? Like, where was that narrator? Like, so there was like a, I'm I'm glad there's no narrator. Agreed. agreed. I mean, I do like how it ends on. It's going to be one of those days, both times, but just the fact that it starts like that with the voiceover, I was just kind of like, well, the whole movie, the whole movie, I can feel my eyes roll behind my head. (laughs) The movie does where it starts off and it kind of ends the same way where it starts off. And it, and again, we introduce buddy in the bathroom, but we do get buddy's exposition as you do in any kind of high school, which is just kind of like the telephone and, yeah. yeah, where everyone's walking in and you just hear different people talking about Buddy Ravel. And then at the end of the movie, they're, all, talking about they're all talking about Jerry. And I think that's funny. I think that's really No, absolutely. Good. Yeah, that's really yeah. clever. The, the thing I was going to bring up is that the thing I like about their introduction of Jerry is Jerry's a bit of a, a, a do-gooder. He's a bit of a, a school, not a nerd, but he does well at school. He keeps out of trouble. Um, but I think you get the good setup that he's a normal kid. He's not you know, a doofus. He's not a dork. He's not like yeah. too nerdy. He's just a normal kid who doesn't want to go get a fight at school. And yeah. I like that they set him up like that as a good kid, but not necessarily one of like the nerdy kids. Yeah. He, he's stuff. somebody that like you could see like a, a jock wouldn't maybe tease him, but go to him for tutoring, but won't really hang out with him. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, we have different experiences from high school. I went to an all boys high school. But, you know, right. You know, so I never had the 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 kind of intermixing of the sexes in terms of just kind of like making sure that, you know, you don't get embarrassed from a girl. You're like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Missing out, man. You're no, missing out. I, no, no, no. I didn't miss out because <laughs> I didn't want to do I, I want I didn't want that added anxiety of high school. And I knew that oh, that added anxiety is part of high school. Not mine. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of basketball. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and it's such a big high school, too. I that mean, high school is huge. Well, they, that high school is uh, not in it's in Utah. Utah. It's in Ogden, Utah. It's Ogden High School. And it's actually the same high school they used for the movie Drive Me Crazy in, that was done in 1999, which is with Adrian Grenier and I believe Melissa John Hart. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that was the same high school, but it's a huge high school. But like I've ne- like my high school class, my graduating senior class was 130 maybe. Mine was about the same. It's not many. No, yeah. but like I think around here and where we are in Connecticut, I don't think there are any high schools that big. No, but there are out out west, out west uh, yeah, for sure. Because you consolidate. I mean, them look all. at like you look at. Um, I think it kind of reminded me, although it's not, kind of reminded me of Sunnydale High School in Buffy. Yep. Those big Californian, you know, or Back to the Future when he goes when you see his high school. <laughs> right. It's those right. huge, ridiculous high schools. Yeah. That's how they were. Yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. They, so yeah. in that case, I don't have that same experience either. It's like everyone was so not close knit, but mm-hmm. you could never avoid anybody. It was never like a thousand people watching you at any time. Yeah, agreed. One of the things that stood out to me this watch was the soundtrack. 
which is I actually really like the Tangerine Dream music. And oh, I think yeah. like it works at the end. The end has got a couple of really cool shots when he walks out and it pulls back. And he's walking out of the school and it pulls back and the music's picking up and you just oh, see yeah, the crowd of people hundreds of people there, which is which is really nice to see because it would just be digital now or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, I like that. And and even that whole fight scene is done really well. It's edited really well. Uh, they have a lot of different moments where obviously people are trying to mess up the fight because his friend is terrible. And I don't even know if Vincent diving in helped him at all. Like, oh, no, not at all. Yeah, I don't well, think Well, it that, gave him a couple of seconds to recover. Well, it gave him the, the chance for his sister to give her- In the brass knuckles. Right, cripple yeah. the dick. And so, <laughs> so but it, I've always really liked this movie. And I remember I told you that and you're just kind of like, why? And I'm just like, here we go. So I, I texted you that because A, I was just watching the Ferris Bueller-like opening and B, I knew it would piss you off. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. like, I watched this multiple times. I was like, oh, I know the best response. Why? Because <laughs> it's good, Butler. Uh, but no, it, it is really good. And I like that you get to see the fight. Yes. Because the whole time the movie's gone, I'm like, oh, this is going to end where they don't get to get to the fight. Yeah. And I'm not going to see them fight. It's going to be such a waste of time. Yeah. And like he pays Buddy off and Buddy takes the money. I'm like, fuck, come on. <laughs> and then they finally get to the fight and all these people are around. I'm like, oh, they're going to do it. <laughs> And it's like, Ken, and I'm the whole time I'm wondering because of the bat, I'm like, can Jerry last more than three minutes? <laughs> Jerry, more than three minutes, yes. He gives him $30 at the end because he's Right, so right. He's like, Jerry, you last four minutes, you get $30. It's like, holy cow, how much did you make? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. it's funny because they fight and it's almost like when Buddy was telling them we're going to fight, it's almost he's telling the audience, it's happening. This fight's happening, everybody. Yeah, so you're not missing yeah. out. Yeah, He's not getting, he's not getting, it's a great way to... To end the movie, it's a it's because you get it's satisfaction. It's satisfaction. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I want to talk about Franny real quick. So they're friends, and you know they're they're buddies or whatever. She clearly likes him. She well, she likes him. Yes. And I'm as I'm watching it, I'm going, "What is it with these '80s movies?" And the idea that the the blonde is what you want to go for, and the woman, the brunette, is not. Like, cause like in Teen Wolf, nobody wanted Boof, but he did at the end, but regardless of that. Right. So she says to him, like, we're going to bond and then they kiss and then she gets this weird look and she leaves. Now, what did you take from that? That they're friends and it's weird. See, it now, was weird to be that close to him. Like she thought she liked him, but. What about the fact that maybe she doesn't like boys? Cause I got that impression this time around. Like that was, it was kind of a self-realization with her and maybe that's what they were hinting to. And it's because the eighties are not going to really go that route because they do have a couple lines in here where it's just the, the ridiculousness of the machismo men who keep thinking that people, the guys just want to have them alone. Oh, can can I make talk a, to you for a second yeah. alone? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, why? Like, it's like that stuff. And I'm not yeah. going to repeat the line, but, um, which it's the eighties. I get it. Um, but it's just like that kind of like, well, what's going, you know what I mean? Like, I'm wondering if that was kind of the reference, but you don't get any hints of that. With no, you. no, no. I know that. And I'm not, right. I, I'm not saying I'm not dying on the hill of that. Right. I'm saying mainly, I wouldn't be surprised if they said, yes, that was what we were doing, but it's not something we really wanted to be overt about because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe, but yeah, it doesn't, what I got from it was that a, it really wasn't the right time for it, or B, that she just realized he was a really good friend, and that's all. Because when True. he's still flirting with the blonde and stuff, and then he kisses the teacher, she's just got this wry smile on her face. Like, let's let's re remove my, I guess, an insinuation, but just kind of like my deep dive into the Freddy character. <laughs> uh, let's remove that. They, right. Even if let's say it is because they're just good friends, they never resolve it. They never go back to resolve it. 
which is kind of something that they left hanging in there. And, and I oh, know absolutely. There's it, a lot of stuff that they've hanging It's not there, the story. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's not about getting the girl. Like I know he kisses her at the end when they, uh, after he fights them and they kiss. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe what I'm saying now is just kind of null and void, but I did get that. I thought that, but okay. then they have him kiss at the end. You're supposed to think that that's, that's okay. That they're together get, now. Yeah. That, that before wasn't the right time. And this is the time. Right. But the ending of the movie was a reshoot. So okay. the ending of the film, when they, te- when they sent this, when they had people watch this movie, the test audience wanted to know what happened with the teacher that he tried. So he tries to get detention in this movie. It's that scene is awesome. <laughs> Love that. Scene. So why don't you explain the scene first? So, he is a uh, buddy. What's his face? Um, buddy Ravel? No, his his friend. His uh, his friend. Oh, Vincent. Oh no, his sister recommends he gets detention. Oh, Bree. Right, Bree. Yeah. So his sister Bree says, "If you get detention, you're gonna be stuck inside all day. You can't you can't do the fight. No harm, no foul. You got detention. You can't go out. It's the perfect out. And what's detention compared to like getting your teeth kicked? Then so he goes to English class, and he's got to do a book report. And so he tries to get detention. So he gets up, steals some cigarettes out of somebody's pocketbook. He's chewing a piece of gum. He gets right up, takes some sunglasses and starts basically saying, so what is a book report? You know, you're asking me to give you the book report. Why? Because you can't read because you're too afraid to read. And he's like going off like he's like doing some bit. Uh, And then the teacher's like, where is this going? Hold on. (laughs) I'm getting to it. And he starts. It's not working. So he starts talking about uh, like. He talks about a book called Honey Goes, Honey to, Hollywood. Goes to Hollywood, which is and basically like a book version, I guess, of Debbie Does Dallas. <laughs> uh, there, um, yeah, it's 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 supposed to be. It's not a real book, um, but it's supposed to be like an erotic like a smart novel. book, like yeah, an erotic uh, book. Absolutely, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's going over all the scenes and stuff like that, and he's slowly walking around the classroom, talking about the heat, how erotic it was, and getting up to the teacher. And the whole time, the teacher's face starts. So you get the sense that she's getting really, really kind of turned on by this. As soon as, this, this as, soon as he starts putting the cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. yeah. Does she stand up at that point? She stands up. No, as he leads his way back to her and starts. Ta- yes. She starts talking yeah. to him and yeah. he starts talking to her. What's your favorite book? <laughs> The turning of the screw. Turn of the screw. Yeah, exactly. Because in that <laughs> and, coincidence. Yeah, in that book, it, it, the tutor sleeps with the person they're tutoring. Yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of like the. But okay, so they set that up, and then he he doesn't get detention because he passes out because he's they, hypoglycemic. They kiss each other, and yeah. then he passes out. Yeah, and so he wakes up in the nurse's office thinking that he's detention. No, you don't. You know, she said, "Hey, here's her personal here's number." I <laughs> do more book reports. So at the end of the movie, so basically the movie ends. Uh, I guess probably without that scene and test audiences wanted to know what happened. So they went back and reshot the ending where she shows up and they kiss. And you can clearly see that because he turns and it's a completely different shot and she's on the other side. And then they cut back to some reactions where either they probably either had them do that or they got those people to come back or maybe that was a reaction to something else. Okay. Maybe when buddy shows up or something like that. But regardless of that, and then they kiss and then that's, you know, he gives the line at the end. But yeah, that those are reshoots. Interesting. I yeah. did not know that. But so, you know, but I, I know we were, I got on this topic with Franny. Um, I know she kisses him at the end. So I guess what I was saying before doesn't make any sense, but I actually would have been okay with that. Like that kind of like, it was just kind of like they put it off the side and they didn't say anything. And like, you know, saying that Franny, you know, kind of had a, some kind of self-realization. I actually would have been okay with that. That would have been pretty cool. I thought, but you know, whatever, that's just my movie, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I would just have needed at least one more little hint of that. No, I, I think, but to be fair, I think them kissing at the end after the fight, I would want more. I'd want a conversation. I'd want them holding hands. I want something that is just that kiss. See, I'm okay with it not being that because it's just Jerry getting balls, you know, just, Maybe. just get being brave, standing up to things, realizing things and actually acting on things. Right. 
The whole thing is you can't you can't take the money from this register. You can't we can't bond. We can't do this. I'm just gonna hang out with my friend. No, I don't want to do this. Not changing, not doing anything. Yeah. And the end of the movie is him doing stuff. Gotcha. Like when he goes back to his math teacher, when he goes, I'm not a pussy asshole. And he runs back, he gets his, t- his things from the math class. You where are you going? Flunk me. And he like leaves. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> uh what did you think about the 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 way they handled there there is a definitely surrealistic nature to this movie but what do you think about the way they handle the adults with the kids i like it because that is a little surreal yeah so like the kids are kind of real but the adults are very exaggerated and i think that's how you see adults when you're younger um you see them as just these different levels of authority or these different like what they do so obviously Jeffrey Tambor a Tambor as Mr. Rice, the school store owner. Oh, stuff like that. He's so he's so hurt by the school the, store, the getting, school destroyed, store yeah. getting destroyed. Like, who would just do this to us? Who would do this? It's funny. It's funny. Like, okay, <laughs> expelled. Uh and obviously uh Mitch Bugluggy as uh the, the Duker. No one <laughs> he's so no es- overblown. There's no escaping the Duker. He's like sucking on his lip and like ugh, he's because like right you, up in his face. Because when it, because you want that though. Because what happens to them at the end is is just kind of like oh, it makes you laugh even absolutely. more. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. When he sends Jerry to the vice principal's office and they're talking before he leaves, yeah. And he goes, "You tell your friends that nobody gets past the Duke." No I can there. just see like that must have taken forty takes because I could not have kept a straight face <laughs> as he was telling in my face doing that. Like, he's great, but then the vice principal. And even the principal's office, it's like you see them as a little bit more than actual human beings. And even the math teacher, even though you only briefly see him, he's kind of an exaggeration of a boring teacher. I got you. I will say, I I I, I know what you're saying, and I know that they're exaggerated examples of what you know maybe we all experienced in high school. But I would say to that that I go the the other way, where I think that they're they're flawed. They're regular people. Like they get punched by Buddy Ravel, and like you know when. Oh yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like they're not. They're not infallible. They're not scary and overbearing in terms of yes. When he goes to the vice principal office, that's how it's set up for Jerry. Like you know, with the, well, I think that's the whole shot, point. Shot. Toward the yeah. end, it's like, hey, it's also you can get these are people. The stuff in the vice principal office is also shot almost like very Terry Gilliam esque. Like he came in and shot that. Yes, you know absolutely. I mean? uh, which I, I I was like I was like all right I'm into that, uh, but. I think that the way it is now, like I think like, like like this movie is probably cannot be set now. Like it has to be set in the eighties because it's a different time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's surreal, but it's like, you know, like he full on kisses a teacher in the middle of in the middle of school. And it's like, Oh yeah. Nobody bats an eye. There's, There's no, no parents, po- being no police officers. No yeah. police and I get it. I mean, this isn't real, but it's just, it's a little refreshing that you don't have to deal with the usual aftermath of something like that within a story context. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. So I, I like, it's just almost like this lives, this place lives in its own little world and lay and this is how it is. These are the rules. Oh, absolutely. The teacher gets knocked out. The principal gets knocked out and then he sits up and he's like, don't fuck this up, bitch. Oh, and he's fighting him. (laughs) And then like when they're going to arrest him, he's like, Oh, just come, he'll be here tomorrow. Like he's had enough. Come, come tomorrow. Completely like just like covers him. He's fine. He's fine. Because he won the fight. Yeah. It's just, it's great. It's just, it's not what you expect. So I think, and I think people can have the opposite reaction in terms of like, because I was wondering if you were going to have the reaction of like, oh, this is full of shit. This wouldn't happen. This wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, and I was hoping that you would and I hope that anyone that watches would understand that like this is not real. Like this is this is oh, it's just, absolutely like, yeah, not real. Yeah, but it's yeah. 
neither neither is Ferris Bueller. I got you. Yeah, any of those other uh, high school films from the eighties. Breakfast Club doesn't exist in real life, right? And people who would knock this movie for having that was like, this is the opposite, though. You get the fight. It's yeah. not like oh, the bully and I hashed it out, and you learn like, oh, you don't get that. Yeah, you, you don't get, need that. Yeah. That's, that's, That's the thing. Movie. And and I want to bring up a great point that you're that you're talking about that I was I've been thinking about for quite some time is that when you go to a theater, eventually, when you go to the <laughs> theater, when you sit down and watch a movie, you want to just be entertained. You want to when you want to watch something that makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you, you know, jump up in the seat. You right. Want, you want fun stuff. You want stuff to just kind of take you away from life. You don't want life on screen for two and a half minutes, two and a half hours. You don't want a lecture. You don't want how we're bad and we're evil and this happened, and this happened, this is bad. There are diff- there are movies that are like that, and those are those are Oscar winners or dramatic. But those these these movies where you're just going to watch a movie to be right. entertained, that's what you want. So you want this. You want a high school fight, and you want all the stupidness that's involved in it. Yeah, and you want to just like watch people do stupid things and. And stuff that makes you laugh. You want and you when you go watch Marvel movies or you know, you want just action and all that stuff. Like this is what you want out of a film. Right, exactly. Is, is to have a good time and not have to have some kind of four or five minute lecture within this 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 type of movie where it's telling you that, you know, you know, the world's gonna blow up or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that kind of entertainment. Um, it's not about shutting your brain off, it's just about being entertained. There's a lot of energy and a lot of intelligence that goes into making these type of films it's not just hey let's have fun right you there's a formula there's something you have to do in order to entertain somebody it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is and there's just a lot less of that now than i think there was back then oh for sure yeah right so going on to what you were saying about how we have to be entertained and stuff though i really like the way they handle buddy Ravel's character Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of depth to him without Mm -hmm. really going into him without really breaking him down and making him too sympathetic you mm-hmm. just understand that he's not just this big bully all the rumors are about although don't touch him <laughs> that's that's that rumor right. true but he doesn't like people knowing about him right he doesn't like being touched so he's shy yep he's probably and there's a couple of moments where tyson the actor is doing some stuff looks with his face where you're just kind of like that's, he's doing a lot of stuff here like, yeah absolutely so when Buddy gets when Buddy first gets hit by Jerry, when Jerry does the one, two and he hits him and he's surprised that he hits him. And then Buddy realizes he's bleeding. You can see the look on his face like it's like fear, like like this is something new. People are watching like he doesn't like, you know, he he almost gets paranoid. Then he he just does what he only thing he knows what to do is to charge Jerry back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's another moment when. After he gets hit with the brass knuckles and he's, he's like sitting there, it's like he's dazed, but it's almost like it's like disbelief that it happened. And this is all in his face and almost that he's, he's pleasantly surprised that someone did this. Yeah. that He's finally been beaten. Yeah. Because now he doesn't have to be the, yeah. the one that everyone's afraid of all the time and stuff like that. Right. It's knocked him down the peg that I think he's been waiting to be knocked down. Right. So about the thing is like, he's just a quiet kid. He's. He's just big. He's just a big kid. He's got like, obviously he doesn't have a lot of money because he's got dirty clothes. His jacket's all torn up. Right. He just wants to be left alone. He's in the library reading a book by himself oh, on his free man. time. Yeah. yeah. And then he, you'll learn later on a, a scene I love, but he acts like he can't do the, te- the tests. And cause he's just trying to show Jerry that he's kind of a puss and he's haven't letting Jerry copy his answer. Cause Jerry's like, Oh man, maybe I can get out of the fight. They go to the principal's office and you learn that Buddy knew the answers all along. <laughs> he could have done all the tests. Yeah. And it shocks both the principal and Jerry because it's like 
but he's not just this big bully, the, the idiot that you think he is. Yeah. And I thought a long time that that was going to be the, the lesson that the movie was going to teach you is that that Buddy was showing Jerry the day in the life of Buddy. These Because Jerry's now being pre... I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be doing this. It's like, that must be how Buddy feels all the time. It's like, now I'm going to watch you. Now you're this. Now you're pigeonholed into being this bad thing, even though just like one bad day or one bad thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting and a really well done way to show Buddy's complexities without really having this big sit down talk. Like I'm going to bring up breakfast club again. Yeah. When you go like, Oh, break down the bully because you know, I do this and this and you find out your dad, dad abused and blah, blah, blah. Like you don't get all that, but you get it. Yeah. Like you said, in his facial moments, all that. I love the end when he puts down the money. Yes. And he like, he cracks that, that, that smile. That really slight yeah. smile is like, that's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. I like that a lot. Richard Tyson is doing a lot of good stuff in here with just his face. Uh, and the other thing about the, the, the fight itself I love that the fight is just is a fight is a fist fight between two people that are not trained boxers. Oh, yeah. Even when buddy hits him, like buddy winds up and hits him and he hits him in the arm and knocks him down. Like there's no, there's a chest punch. And right. Like, ah. Yeah. There's no choreographed. I mean, it's choreographed, but it's, it's not like go learn how to fight and come back. Right. It's, these two people are going to fight the, the only way they know how. And I like that. I, that's the, one of the other reasons why I like movies from the 80s or 70s when people fight. It's not all crisp and clean and cor- super choreographed well. There are, there are certain times and places with those type of films. Mm-hmm. But if it's something like this, I don't need to see Buddy Ravel doing a spinning kick or anything like that. Oh, for sure. You know sure. what I mean? Although the spinning kick is very 80s. So, I mean, but it's come not, on. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but you know, like even like in the Karate Kid, none of those people knew karate, but it was still fun to watch. It's oh, still yeah. fun to watch the show now because they don't, they still don't know karate, but it's great. <laughs> it's still great to watch. I don't care. No, I, I, the fight is really good. The fight is well done. I like that when uh, Fran goes up to kind of defend Jerry and he just puts his oh, hand he, on her oh, face. He throws her. He throws her. I'm yeah. like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the, I wanted to, you, I want to go back to Buddy because I, I, Forgot this moment when the principal, when they're in the principal's office and he's like, you two boys must think I'm very stupid. And he's not looking and Buddy's just like sitting there. Yeah, nodding. he nods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so do, I mentioned, I brought it up re- before. I wanted to know what you thought. Do you think that uh, <laughs> Vincent's a bad friend, right? Like he's just not a good friend. He started this whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, he knew what was going to happen. I mean, come on. I get my best friend to deal with this bully. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on, man. And he just kept making it worse. I put he a note on his make... desk. It's like you signed it by me. Yeah. Like that kind of Jerry. Yeah. It's supposed to be an anonymous note, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's definitely going to know. I love that he goes into his car and he flips the hood. It's all destroyed. But then the the daggers in the steering wheel. You're not going to get out of here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you? Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to bring up my pep rallies were never like that. I don't know. I mean, I never had a school of like a bajillion people, but those are some hardcore pep rallies. Everyone's excited to be there. The pep rallies in my school were like, hey, you're going to miss last period, but you have to stay in the building. Everyone during pep rallies were like, I don't want to be here. (laughs) So we didn't. Well, that pep rally was during the day. It was in the middle of the school. Which is when you should have pep rallies because we had it at the end of the day and we were just like we should just be going home early. Why are we doing a pepper? Yeah, no, we had, we would have, we'd actually, cause I went to a Catholic high school. We'd have mass, but you got out of school. So you, you didn't care, but like we had some rallies. We, we used to do, Oh man, we used to sell our school used to sell like ads mm-hmm. or blurbs or ads for like, uh, our yearbooks or something. I can't, I can't remember what it was for. 
And that's how I was a fundraiser. And we used to have those kind of uh, things. And we used to have a teacher that came in and uh, he would, he was, he was always like screaming and yelling about doing stuff. He's like, let's go, let's sell. And he actually, one time he had, he came up, he's like, you want to talk about selling the ads? And he comes up and he's got a little piece of paper. And he's just like, okay, so everybody want to make sure that you say, and then he's just like, he starts ripping it up. He starts screaming. No, you got to get out there selling. Everyone's <laughs> screaming. Going, yeah. But like, you know, that was just us. We're a bunch of idiots. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, when, it, when it's in the day, I can get why they're all excited because they're out of class and they're just chilling out and they're all screaming and they're, they probably got lunch right after that. So, yeah. 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 Like, I was just like, wow, my pepper is never like that. <laughs> Did you know that Kirk Cameron was the second choice as the lead? Ugh. I know. I know. Well, he was big back then because growing up. Yeah, but of, now uh, I just games. can't see him as other than uh, what he is now. So now it's like I playing his guitar. <laughs> we talked about the age of the actors of Tyson, Richard Tyson and, and Casey Zamasco are 25 or over 25 years old. They're actually older than the director when they're doing this movie. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. They, they're all like, they all look so old. <laughs> uh, I had a question for you because I can't find any information on it. When Jerry's sitting in his Western Civ class waiting for the fire alarm to go off. Sitting next to him, I believe, is a young David Spade. Oh, I have. And I don't know. If I'd you have to go that. back and look. Okay, so it's like I th- I'm pretty sure that's David Spade. Uh, no, that's not him. Are you sure? Yeah, that's not him. Look at that mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm still not convinced that that's not him. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> He's got a bad mullet. It's a. It's a well. Depends on how you look at it. In 1986, that's an awesome rocking mullet. mullet. Girls all like him, probably. (laughs) Hi, mullet. (laughs) I'm having a party with all my friends. (laughs) Sandy Dunk. Sandy's gonna be there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you kind of enjoyed it for what it is. It's just I just think it's a. We talk about the Burbs in our first season. And I, I talked about that movie I thought should have been, it shouldn't be a cult classic. It should be a movie that you should watch for me, like a classic 80s film. Absolutely. I think this movie is of that same ilk. I think this movie should not just be a cult classic. It should be right along the lines of all those other 80s films that everyone loves. Can I tell you something that's okay. going to be controversial? This film is one million times better than The Breakfast Club. That's just, that's just a fact. <sighs> why? Well, tell me why. Uh, Breakfast Club is unrealistic and super soapy and super lame and super cheesy. And your characters are one note. Your characters are all very specific, just nerd, <laughs> bully, <laughs> cool girl. It's just like, that's not high school. That's super lame. That's super stupid. And if you put them all in a room together, they're just going to fight or not talk to each other until the day is done and look in different directions. I don't care if it's today on their cell phones or the 90s or the 80s writing down scribbling in the notebooks not gonna happen these kids are real they don't really fit into a certain hole all the time you're talking about three o'clock high three o'clock high they're more realistic you're well they're they're not realistic not realistic but they're they're not pigeonholed into a certain okay place yeah you don't have to you can get the background of the characters you can get who they are without having to have some kind of sappy unrealistic big time monologue sure. about life and how unrealistic the breakfast club thinks life is these you get all of buddies you get as much about buddy as you get about oh, what's his face his character jerry no the bully in breakfast club oh wow i mean which one oh um like uh 
Judd Reinhold, not Judd Reinhold, Judd Nelson's character. Judd Nelson's character, yeah. You did as much about Buddy as that without Buddy having to say a word about his past. You just get it based on his actions, based on his facial uh, expressions, and based on what you see in the film. Uh, I will say this, uh, and just in defense of The Breakfast Club, because I feel like if I don't defend it, it there's going to be issues. Well, I also hate The Breakfast Club. I get that. <laughs> well, you know, I, Breakfast Club was what? Was one of the scripts that he wrote in his coke-fueled rage for th- 14 days? Apparently, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, it's John Hughes is almost a genre in and of itself. So it's right. a specific John Hughes movie. So that's why... Um, so it within that frame, I think that's why it's successful. But it's also a movie that you've never seen before. Like it came when it came out, there was nothing anything like it. It's a movie of that time. It's a movie that maybe doesn't hold up because there are things that it, it's just the phone call. There are things that have just come up that are better that are, right. that do it better. I will agree with you that I, I I'd have to watch Breakfast Club again. Um, being somebody that obviously because I write a lot, I probably might be more attracted to the dialogue, but. I'm not necessarily saying your take is so outlandish. I can understand. I do really like this film. There's nothing in the, there's not a lot in this movie that I don't like. Right. So in the breakfast club, I think there are moments where I do get a little bored. So in that regard, um, like you're supposed to think like at the end of the breakfast club, everything's going to change and it's not going to change. Not at you know, all. We, yeah. I don't believe that for one second that she's going to turn around and go out with him. Molly Ringwald's character. No, absolutely not. And, it, but in this movie, even like when he Ravel comes in and drops the money, I don't even think like they may not they may not have another fight. They're not going to have an issue, right? But and they'll ha- there's mutual respect. But life's going to go on in that high school. It's not this isn't some kind of like earth shattering oh, event. Right? It's By a the next, day in the life of high school. At the next Mitchell. week, everything's going to be completely right, back to normal. Right? Or a it, different. It, thing. It's just it's just it, it's a part. It's almost like. It definitely, yes, we keep saying, I keep saying surrealistic, but it's definitely just a day in the life and they're going to move on. Life's going to move on and other stories are going to happen yeah. in high school. And this it, is, it just that happened time? to be one of those days. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But with the breakfast club, it's almost like there's some kind of idea that there's some great epiphany with the characters and that's not going to happen. And there is an unbelievability to, but that is the movie. I think the breakfast club is, is just lauded like that because it was something that was new and it's something that kind of struck a chord with people. Granted, they're not I think deep characters. Teenagers really liking the fact that, yeah, I am that character. Okay, that's fine. They can see themselves in those archetypes. Seeing themselves yes. as a one-note but, archetype. But again, that's just, it's almost like maybe it was the perfect storm that came out. But sure. you could you can make a claim that the, the Breakfast Club notoriety is just because either it was the first or it was the it was the one that resonated the most with the audience at the time. But over time, it probably doesn't stand up as much as maybe other stuff do. I, I've always liked Weird Science. If we're talking about John Hughes, more than The Breakfast Club. Oh, Weird, Weird Science si- is yeah. fun. Yeah. I so, like Weird so there's different. You know, maybe we should we should have had a Breakfast Club apologist on here who can tell <laughs> us why it's so awesome. But I don't think your take is necessarily wrong. I Another hot take. I think it's better than Ferris Bueller. That's right. At least uh, I said it. What? <laughs> Breakfast Club? No, Three O'clock High. No, I do. Funny. I do not agree with that. It's a different movie, but yeah, exactly. Ferris Bueller is awesome. That's it's another one where the characters awesome. are just so ridiculous. Though. No, Ferris, no, Ferris Bueller would not work if Matthew Broderick was not a great Ferris Bueller. That's the that's the thing. That's true. If it was just, he, which is why the television show of Ferris Bueller. <laughs> which, if it was just Kirk Cameron, it wouldn't. Like you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It, it, you need it, a Ferris, great Bueller works Ferris Bueller because of Matthew Broderick. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, there's there's a lot of stuff in Ferris Bueller that's great. Even the stuff people forget. People sleep on the fact that. 
uh, Jennifer Grey and the Charlie Jennifer Grey and Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Grey in the movie is actually very good. And the people always just remember Ferris Bueller, but she's really good. Right. And she, at the end of the movie, she redeems the name of Bueller because she defends her brother. She, you know, like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good. But yeah, Ferris Bueller. I, I can't. I can't go either. I can't go there with you. But I can go there with you on Breakfast Club. I mean, I don't not like Ferris Bueller. I just think I really like the way that this melds a little bit of everything. And it might be that Scorsese thing that they were trying to do. Sure. And it really works because it adds this this extra tinge to this film where there were moments where I laughed, but probably not as many as maybe I wanted. I should have. Yeah. Because I was so invested in the actual story, and I think that's awesome. I'll say, I think that, that what I said before, like when you're talking Ferris Bueller, you should talk three o'clock high as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I agree don't, with that. Yeah. They don't bring up when you talk about, if you talk to somebody like, give me eighties movies that you love that were basically around teenagers. This movie's never coming up. Right. It's all the, all those, the I mean, regular yeah, movies are coming up. I've seen like all these movies. I've seen most, all of the John Hughes movies. I've seen Ferris Bueller a couple because of times. Because those are the ones that everyone's talks exactly. about. Exactly. Right. And I've only heard of three o'clock high. I only knew of its existence. Which yes. is a shame because it's awesome. Exactly. And and again, look at the people that are in the movie. There's no real big stars in the film. Like Casey, one Casey's mask has gone off and done stuff. Richard Tyson's Jeremy stuff. and Buddy are the only ones right. of the kids that have really gone right. off other than Yardley Smith, who now makes more than any of them. But nobody knows <laughs> what she looks like. That's true. You know what I mean? But no, they just know the voice. I bet you people yeah. watching will be like, that voice sounds familiar, but I can't place Probably, it. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know what she looks like, but yeah. She's actually a very successful podcaster now. Oh, no, too. no. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. But yeah. Um... Yes, but I'm. I think that we t- like this movie is not talked about enough. Not at all. Now, let me. We. I think we've kind of again. We're t- we're making the case for why it's forgotten. But I want to. I think Spielberg asking to have his name taken off this is the movie a ton. Uh, I think so for because, sure because this is eighty six, eighty seven. He's produced mostly everything. He's already done Raiders. He's already done. Actually, he's done the two indie films. Uh, has he done ET yet? He's done ET. ET was eighty two. Oh, that's right. He's yeah, produced yeah. Back to the Future. Yep. Like he is a ma- he's produced Poltergeist. He is a major player in Hollywood at this point. Obviously, he's he is now, but he is like his like he's probably his, like his prime white Spielberg. hot yeah. Spielberg right now. And he asked to have his name removed from this movie. And I think that in certain circles in Hollywood, that affected. The promotion of this film, the push of this film by Universal. I think, I think his asking, I love Steven Spielberg as a director, but him asking to remove his name absolutely killed this movie. Absolutely. And that's I think, and that's, that's, that is completely unfair because he's concerned about his image. Um, I'm not obviously around at that, at, at my age 46 in 1980. So I don't understand what's going on back there, but still. That's that was a bad decision and a bad move. And I think that affected this movie and which is why not enough people know about this movie, because if he put his name on it, this movie would have been like from Steven Spielberg. If he put his name Three. on it, it would have been in my parents VHS case. Exactly. And I would have it growing up. Exactly. And it, it's it's just super unfortunate that that happened. Super unfortunate that that he was just like because it didn't fit the family friendly vibe the he Amber was trying to do. Vibe. But I again. If if that's what you're trying to do, then you read the script. Where in the script did you think you were getting your Amblin fam, family exactly, friendly but movie? I don't think it's not. I don't think it's super inappropriate. I don't think it's anything Amblin couldn't produce. I, I know. I agree. To stuff. Well, compared to but compared to now, this is tame. This movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Amblin produced Gremlins. Yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You think yeah. the story about his her father coming down the chimney yeah. and dying 
and finding them three months later. Yeah. You think that's think, think family about that. friendly? Think about Spielberg pulling his name off of, a, of, of Gremlins that Joe Dante directed. And he was just like, no, I don't want to be associated with this movie. What does Universal do then? Are they going to actually push Kremlins out? Or are they just going to be like, okay, we don't know what we want to do. Steven doesn't want his name on it. We got to do something. That's the thing. You don't understand how that decision affects movies because he is, like I said, he is white hot at this point. He is cinema god at that exactly. point. Exactly. Anything well, he, he touches is going yeah. to be a huge hit. I mean, you don't realize it, but he produced the Men in Black series. He produced yep. Transformers. Like he's all, you don't see it, but he's in there. He's that yeah. he's behind the he's scenes. not directing all these action exactly. adventure movies doesn't mean he's not with marvel aside he's probably got his hand in all of the big budget action movies totally totally steven give us a call we'll, we'll have a <laughs> retort on this i just think that was a, just a a disservice to this film i wonder if you asked him again today if he would have regretted his decision back then but he should come out and say and he should say something Oh, I'm sure he's not bringing it up if no one's mentioning it. Uh, screw so. that. He should. <laughs> what well, this was 80, what, 86? It was 80, well, so 87. Yeah. So the 25-year anniversary you already passed? No. Wait, yes, yes. I was born at 80. So the 35-year anniversary is coming 35 up. 35-year anniversary next, is next, next year. year. All right. Let's go. TCM. TCM, call us. Uh, <laughs> put this damn movie in your TCM Fathom events. Let's go. All May, right. Maybe I'll come back to the theater just to watch that, but not, <laughs> but not to work. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's right. Uh, all right, so I guess we're done. Um, I but think so. I, uh, I people should watch this film. Go back and watch Three O'clock High. Go find it. Mike rented it on Prime Video. I rec- I got it in some way. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's if I didn't get a lot of people saying like, oh, I can't believe you're watching this film. So I'm wondering when this comes out. What will people say? Yeah, well, usually we get some usually of get our some usual back, listeners. We get people talking back. about it. Like, we're, oh yeah, talk about this or oh really? Yeah, I mean, I def- I had to defend Miami Vice director's cut of Miami Vice, which I thought was just like, can you watch the movie for you? I think it's because no one's seen the director's cut, and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But anyways, Mike, where like where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. And while you're there, check out our other uh, selection of great shows. Uh, we are also on all the socials at Forgotten Cinema Pod or Forgotten Cinema Podcast, depending on where you are. We put out a fun commercial every Thursday. We post every day of the week. Join us in the lobby. It's our Facebook group where we kind of talk with you guys about the movies we're talking about or movies you guys bring up. So if you guys want to talk to us, that's a nice place to go. It's called Forgotten Cinema's Lobby now. But yes, go ahead. Okay, Forgotten Cinema's Just Lobby. Just so I put the name on there. All right. And uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, go give us a rating, a review, subscribe, all that good stuff that helps uh, promote our podcast and help us grow. Yeah, try to get to our group because eventually we're going to move away from just posting on the public page and just kind of post in the group, uh, figuring just to kind of like not be obnoxious and people that don't want to hear our stuff don't want to hear Great, it. Great, so. another forgotten cinema post. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so hopefully there. And join us next week as we're going to 2000. Oh, excuse me. Hang on, 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 hang on. Okay. And join us next week as we're only going a couple of three years back, but we're going to the future as well. I know this is weird. We're going to 1984. We're going to watch 2010, the year we make contact. I have fought this movie to be on this list for so long, not to be on this list. And then Butler decided to pick it. So now we have to do it. So here we go. Have you, you've never seen it before. I've though, seen right? it before. Oh, you have? I just don't, I just, what didn't, I don't know. Maybe I'll like it a better again. I don't know. I just, well, the last time you watched it a long time ago. Yeah, so maybe, long, but then, see, here's before. the thing now. This is a sequel to 2001. I feel like I need to watch 2001 again. Uh, same with me. 
Yeah. See, you're making me watch two movies next week. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. Well, not really. I'll, I'll, I'll watch two movies. It's not, <laughs> not going to be an issue. I mean, I'll, I'll find it. So, but anyways, that's next week. We're doing 2010, the year we make contact. Um, and that's actually a suggestion from uh, one of Mike's managerial partners at the theater, Mr. Greg Antonini. So right. maybe we'll get his voice on here to tell us why he picked it. Maybe. Maybe. If you're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Mike Field. Uh, I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.